When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Aloha, spooky nerds! <laughs> Welcome to Talking Strange, the paranormal pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Sagers of 28 Days on It on Netflix. And Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel and the Max streaming service. And we are recording in front of an audience at Amy Bruni's Strange Escape Paranormal Event at Belvoir Winery in the Odd Fellows home. I'm excited to be here. You guys excited to be here? So, Belvoir Winery and the Odd Fellows home. This was first on Ghost Hunters in February 2013, appeared on an episode, then it was on. Ghost Adventures, the team filmed in May 2015. Kindred Spirits with Amy Bruni and Adam Berry, filmed here in 2018. And the episode uh, aired in 2019, I guess. And Destination Fear, a.k.a. Project Fear, also filmed here. And now we are all here. Not only are we going to be listening to excellent talks throughout the weekend, you guys get to go on a paranormal investigation tonight of the location. I've done it. A couple times now. It is a great location. Spooky. It's fun. It's a great spot. Now, the inn that we are in, the inn we're in, right now, opened in, that's a lot of inns, in 2017 is when the inn opened in the inn. And it was opened by the CEO and operations manager at the Belvoir Winery and Inn, my guest, Mr. Jesse Lime Cooler. Yeah. You can apply to yourself, too. No, no need for applause. Um, so, Jesse, thanks for joining me. I know we've done this before. Of course, getting to the history of the location is really important, not just for the paranormal activity, but just informing people out there about this spot. And I think we should begin with the Odd Fellows overall. Show of hands, before coming here, who had heard of the Odd Fellows before? Okay, good. A lot of you guys did. And anybody know what the Odd Fellows are, other than a pretty cool name? Okay. <laughs> So let's let's start in with that the organized Odd Fellowship. Uh, give it. Do, can you talk a little bit about the history of the Odd Fellows? Yeah, yeah. So the Odd Fellows, uh, the history of it is kind of like a, a fraternal order. Um, they had a ritual that was based on Old and New Testament teachings, mainly the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, and then. Outside of that, their uh, good works, for lack of a better description, that they do is they would build one or two of these homes in each state, um, and they would be for the purpose of an orphanage, poor home, old folks' home, hospital, all those kind of things. So, um, you know, the Shriners only have a hospital. The Oddfellows decided to take it, you know, one step further and have a whole lot more going on. So um, not many of those homes are left, to be quite honest. This is one of the few that's left, and, honestly, and none of them are functioning as Oddfellows homes anymore. So um, it's kind of trailed away at that time but it's nice that we're able to save this building and kind of give it history and I I'm hoping that you know what we've done here is actually the reason that a lot of these people know about the odd fellows too I feel like that's a great thing 
I think so. I think that this has certainly spread the word about the, the Odd Fellows. And the independent order of the Odd Fellows dates to the 17th century England. It was a charitable organization, as you said. And the first American lodge opened in Baltimore in 1819. And this golden age of fraternalism, it, it served a purpose within the community. And part of that, you want to talk a little bit about the burial and the health care and all the, all the things they did for the members. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a, somewhat like Social Security in that you'd pay it forward. You know, you'd do your monthly dues, and there was a certain part of it that'd be taken for if you wanted to retire after you were a certain number of years, you could retire free of charge here um, at, or at another home. Um, there was also a burial stipend that was part of your due. So if you were a member for a certain period of time, you could be buried free of charge in any Odd Fellow Cemetery. So there was a lot going on to take care of those members. And uh, well, it was great at the time. You know, it was a wonderful thing. You would just keep going, going, and going. The problem was at some point they stopped recruiting and uh, getting youth in there. Well, the problem is if you don't have youth paying dues, then eventually that kind of dies out. So th that's why the system was lost in the end and when, why we ended up with this property because they had this giant property and they couldn't afford to use it anymore. Yeah. And, and, and what he's saying, I think, really is fascinating that before life insurance, before people were buying, uh, could afford burial plots and things like that, paying into this fraternal organization that was their insurance and social mm -hmm. security, as Absolutely. you said. So the symbol are three intertwined rings. Mm -hmm which represent friendship, love, and truth. And yep. the IOOF, they, their, their mission was to visit the sick, relieve the distressed, bury the dead, educate the orphan. And even though they had their roots in the Good Samaritan, they weren't really a religious organization. Right. You well, know, they developed. They, they started. They were a bit more of a religious organization. And then, as they went along, they realized, okay, we're we're eliminating some of the people that could join our organization. You know, and so then it became basically the only requirement at some point became that you believe in a higher power. So I, you know, that kind of was a all inclusive cover all right. the religions and that kind of thing. And even honestly, some people who weren't religious still believed in a higher power. They just maybe didn't fit in. So. Um, yeah, so they kind of took that stance, and that allowed them to open it up. And they ended up becoming the second largest fraternal order in the United States at that time, behind the sh only the Shriners. So it, yeah. it worked out for them. The, the word odd, I mean, we think about it. I mean, I, I fully embrace uh, the term odd. <laughs> I, I would like to think I'm an odd serling of sorts. But the, the word odd, what is that referring to within odd fellows? Because there is a reason that they said odd. Yeah, yeah. They, basically, like... Uh, you know, the old fraternal orders, like if you were a mason, you could, uh, you know, you had to be a stone mason and those kind of things. And some of the original uh, creators of the organization realized that similarly, a lot of people were being left out because they weren't part of one of these organizations. And so um, they created the Odd Fellows. And the basic idea was if you didn't fit in any of those other organizations, you could, you were welcome to join them in there. And so they called it odd. But of course, at the, now, you know, we kind of don't like that word odd <laughs> at some level. Mm -hmm. It feels kind of, you know, dirty to some people but uh, you know I mean it it was very simple it was just I didn't fit in anything else and, and I needed a place to land so yeah some of the early members at least in America we had a boat builder a comedian a singer those were some early members and also I've, I've read that the other notion of odd is that it was somewhat unusual and odd to have a mission of helping others that that was a bit unusual so as a charitable organization they were odd in that way yeah. as well um and 
the uh, you mentioned they attracted a lot of working class people, not just uh, masons, which they kind of attracted more of the wealthy. Right. So, as I said, the first lodge opens. Uh, the first lodge organized in Missouri uh, was in 1835, incorporated in 1843. Talk a little bit more about just the origins of this this particular facility. Yeah. So, like, basically, you would have the lodges and. If in every single city almost you would have an odd fellows lodge in fact if you drive through these cities even if you drive through the liberty square right now you'll drive by a building and you'll see chain links on it the three links um, you can go through any small city here in missouri or anywhere else and you're going to find an odd fellows lodge or some of them are a combo lodge you know like the masons and the odd fellows would get together and you know share a building or something like that but um you know i mean it's amazing how they did it they they went throughout the communities and they they built that sense of community and they had, you know, weekly meetings because they didn't have the internet. You know, if you wanted to find out what was going on in the community, you go to the, to the weekly meeting or whatever it might be, the bi-weekly meeting. And so, um, unfortunately that was kind of a downturn of the, the odd fellows eventually was because you had the advent of the internet and things like that. And suddenly people didn't need meetings. They didn't need that community to, to form that sense of community. Even though I feel like in some level, you know, the, the sense of community on the internet is not quite as good as what you might find in if you do a meeting, or even if, like us, meeting right here. I feel like there's a lot more connectivity if you're talking face-to-face, -face. but unfortunately, that's the way it works. So, um, But yeah, and then they would support their local uh, home. So I mean, like I said, there'd be one or two in each state. Um, in this state, we actually had two. So there was one in the St. Louis area. I think St. Charles is where it was, and then this one here. And so um, there was a percentage of their dues that would actually go to support their local home, which would be the one closest to where they're at. So, um, and if they needed help, um, you know, at some point, what was it? In uh, Valentine's Day 1900, the original building burned down. And so uh, those guys actually came out and helped rebuild this. And they rebuilt this place in about six months' time, which is pretty incredible. Um, but, you know, they had so many people willing to help, and there were orphans that needed a home. So um, it worked out great in that manner. Yeah, I like I I'm constantly fascinated by the idea with the odd fellows that if someone fell uh, fell on their luck, fell down on their luck, and they became in, indigent or their you know, their family passed away, like it was the mission to take care of the orphans, to help those who were struggling. But it wasn't just a a, a carte blanche. They had to work for mm -hmm. for that as well, right? People came here. And had to tend the land. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the concept was at least like with the 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 orphan portion of it. It was the little kids because at the time usually um, the older kids would actually stay on the farms and those kind of things and work to keep that being supported. And then they'd bring the younger kids here to be helped and fed and things like that until they could get back on their feet. It wasn't a situation where you brought your child here and then it was adopted out somebody else. It was we help you for a little bit and then eventually you can come back and and get them for lack of a better description, but. Um, and then some of the older kids or even the older people that were here that were poor, they would go out and work on the land. This was a self-sufficient property. So they would go out and they would tend um, to all types of livestock. They would have fields. This property is 170 acres now, but it was originally almost double that. It was about 350 acres. Um, so there's lots of fields and things like that that are out there um, that they would harvest and, and do all those things. So, I mean, um, it was kind of cool that they did that. And even the stuff they needed a lot of times they would trade, they wouldn't have to pay, they would just take things, whether it was a cattle or you know a, um, something like that, and trade with uh, people in the community just to get what they needed. So, I mean, at this location, there's been times where the kids, the orphans, actually outnumbered the people in the old folks' home, yeah. correct? 
Yeah, there was a lot. At the height of the orphanage, which was during the Depression, there was about uh, 400, 450 kids here. So, um, and even during the Depression, um, when they needed space, they would put, uh, I don't know how many of you have been down to see George in George's room, but that room is one of the original bedrooms. Um, just to give you some idea. So the, uh, we've opened up some event spaces, but that would be the original bedroom size. And so it's roughly about, um, you know, about a 12 by 14, something like that. Um, and during the Depression, there would be six people sleeping in that room. So, yeah, you'd have bunks and people sleeping on the couch or on the floor or whatever needed, you know. I mean, it beats sleeping outside. So um, so that, that tells you how quickly this place could fill up. This, this room here and this area here, um, these were open, so this end and this that end of the the um, room were actually giant rooms. Each of these rooms here held 40 orphans, so 40 orphans here, 40 orphans down there, and then the two rooms in the middle, which you can see on the layout on the floor you, when you walk through, that was where the matron and then the um, library with the radio was at. So you know you would have 80 kids and one lady taking care of 80 kids down here. It's not an enviable task. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so let's talk about George. That could be like the subhead of this of this episode and of, of this conversation. Let's talk about George. So for those of you that were walking around in this facility, uh, who all has seen George? Okay. And for those that are just listening to this, George, our friend George, is a skeleton down on the he's first dead. floor. Yeah. Dead. He is dead. Yes, he's very dead. He's a skeleton on display. And he kind of plays an important part in the Odd Fellows uh, initiation and just the overall kind of philosophy of the Odd Fellows. Let's talk about George. Who yep. is George? What's the point of George? Yeah. Why is he here? It's actually a gr it's a great story. I originally um, um, talked with one of the what would have been the president of Odd Fellows at the time when we were doing this renovation, and he knew what we were doing. They were very excited about it for the reason that you know it could give them some publicity for uh, the Odd Fellows just having this open again. And so he, there was a lodge closing nearby. And normally when they close the lodge, they either um, auction off the items or they redistribute them to other lodges. Well, the other lodges already had so much stuff because there was a lot of lodge closings going on at the time. So he's like, listen, if you just come out here, I won't, you don't have to pay, but if you want to get some items for display and things like that, come on out. So I actually took two U-Haul trucks worth of stuff out of the lodge. But when he was down there and he was, I was learning a lot, you know, because we were going through all the items. I'm like, what's this? What's this? And so there's a room behind the lodge room where they keep all the props for the um, uh, ritual. And they have, I mean, literally hundreds of costumes, all sorts of characters from the Bible and other things. And, and uh, part of it, he told me right away, he said, listen, he says, we have a, a skeleton um, in every lodge and it's called George and most of the lodges have a paper mache uh, skeleton in a coffin but there are some lodges that have an actual skeleton and I said great well let's let's find George you know and so we started digging through and after about an hour we came across this like child's coffin and we're getting excited we're like alright and so we bring it out and uh, pull it out and we flip open the lid and it's a paper mache skeleton we're like oh man I mean it's cool but it, you know, it wasn't a skeleton. <laughs> so uh, we went ahead and we were digging literally for another two hours. That's how much stuff is in there. And kept digging and digging. And like way in the back, it was probably 10 feet back into a cabinet area, a storage area. I literally saw a shine and it was a handle. And I, and I said, there's a handle back there. I said, is there another door back there? I thought, you know, you maybe pull something out or something like that. He said, I don't know. And so I crawled way back in. I was covered with dust and everything else. And 
grabbed it and pulled on it and realized it was a coffin. And I was like, oh, this is good. All right. And so we bring it out and we, <laughs> we bring it out and, and we're all kind of like looking at each other. It's like, okay, we've already seen one paper mache. You know, what, how bad is this if we're going to find another paper mache? And so we flipped it open and lo and behold, it was George. And it was a, it was a dead guy in a coffin. And we were so excited. Yeah. <laughs> So, so we brought, you know, I mean, um, we, we found out later basically that he had um, donated his body to science. You know, they bleached down the bones afterwards and things like that and reassembled them. And he wanted to be the, the skeleton in his uh, lodge. And so, um, so we figured, well, this lodge is closing. He wants to be an odd fellow still. So we're going to bring him here and, and keep him. So that's how we ended up with George. Well, and there's stories out there about people that are doing renovations on their buildings and discover a skeleton in the walls that it's not a murder victim. It's somebody that it was maybe an old Oddfellows Lodge or it, it played a part in those initiation rituals, which we should talk about because this symbol, it's, it's not ghoulish. It's this symbol of mortality and reminding ourselves that, hey, we're all on this one-way path. Yep. Uh, can you speak a little bit about the the hoodwink and the reveal of George and how that yeah. ritual would play out. Yeah, so basically when they come in, um, the lodge, um, it's all dark except for a, a light coming down in the coffin. So they bring in the initiate, and the initiate's blindfolded. And um, so once the uh, initiate comes up, they lead him up to the uh, coffin and then basically take the, the uh, blindfold off. And the, and the point is to reveal that you know, this is your mortality. This is what's going to happen to you. Do what you can while you can with what you have, because eventually you'll be like this. And so it's a, you know, it's a quick reality snap that, uh, you know, take, use your, use your life wisely. So, I mean, it's great. It's actually a good purpose. Yeah. Just to put it into perspective, I think about these historical figures that were odd fellows with Charlie Chaplin, P.T. Barnum, uh, FDR, Wyatt Earp, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, Charles Lindbergh. So all of these these guys are going through this initiation where, you know, they 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 see the skeleton. I'd like to think that one of them had to let out a high pitched scream when they saw it. You know? I'm I'm gonna It would be say, a little surprising. Yeah. Let's just say uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah, let's say, let's say he's the one that, that eat a little bit. It was also the first first national fraternity to accept both men. And women, mm -hmm. because there's the daughters of Rebecca. Correct? Rebecca, yeah, the Re Order of Rebecca, yeah. Order of Rebecca, yeah. Yes. And, and now technically, uh, I think I think that the women can also join the Odd Fellows as well if they'd yeah. like to. They can choose which lodge they'd like to join. Yeah, and Eleanor Roosevelt was uh, a member as well, the mm -hmm. daughters of Rebecca. Yeah. So this area, this also, uh, the property used to before it was Odd Fellows, it was a hotel. Correct. One of the buildings, right? This the, uh, it was on this, this site. On this site, it was the Winners Hotel. Yep, the Winter Hotel was uh, built in 1880, um, and it was built as a Springs Hotel. You know, the the Healing Springs were all the thing. There was the Elms just up the street. If you guys, I say up the street, it's about 15 minutes away. But if you haven't gone there, it's a really cool hotel from a similar time frame. And so you know, the people would come and bathe in the Healing Springs and that kind of stuff. And so it was a beautiful hotel. Um, and they actually had a uh, where the four-lane highway sits out front now they actually had a horse racing track out there it was you know people would come and bet and all that stuff um and so it was really cool and they had this giant community planned where this the hotel was to be the center of the community and then there was going to be a giant community built around it um and then in 1893 there was a real estate crash and so he lost every mr winter lost everything the only thing we know about mr winter is that there's a road down the 
down the hill here named after him and that's it uh, otherwise he lost everything so um, so yeah then the Oddfellows bought it from them in 1895 and turned it into the orphanage and then like I said on Valentine's Day 1900 that original building which was all wood burned down and they rebuilt this building in so this place this is the orphanage <clears throat> correct that we're in right now and then we have the admin building Right. Uh, well, this is also known oh, as the admin building. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the old folks building. Yep, the old folks home. 1907. Mm -hmm. um, the old hospital. Mm -hmm. 1923 yep. was when that was built. And what else? What are the other buildings? And then the nursing home, nursing which home. is next door. And the nursing home replaced, um, you guys can go down on the first floor. There's a, a original picture from like early 1900s. Um, it replaced a school that was here. Right. And so once the orphanage, orphanage closed down in the 50s, they took that building down and replaced it with a nursing home because there was a lot more need for the older folks at that time. And in Liberty, for a time, this was also the only hospital. I yeah, heard. north of the river, this was uh, several decades, that was the only hospital until they built one near downtown, yeah. Okay, and uh, up the hill we also have the cemetery. We do, there's about 600 graves up there. Okay, and all odd fellows? No. No, there's a mixture of um, Oddfellows, Rebecca's, and then basically if you look on the stone, if you have three chain links, that means that they're an Oddfellow or Rebecca. If they don't, that means that they were someone who um, stayed in the old folks' home yeah, and then passed away and couldn't afford burial or you know didn't have family, and so then they could be buried up there free of charge. Um, I'm not sure they cared if they yeah. were dead. but <laughs> So you grew up in this area, and I'm curious about as – a little kid what this what the area kind of, what this represented to you what did you think about this collection of old buildings yeah in, well, in so your, I, your I grew up like about 10 15 minutes away but yeah. my wife Melissa she right. and her family grew up in this area and and for a long period of time it was just known as you know the old folks home on the hill people would drive by this this road is a main thoroughfare for you know a long long time since uh, late to 1800s even there was a road <laughs> yeah. between independence and liberty and so people would come by and and you know be amazed at it some would not know what it was some knew it was just an old folks home and that kind of thing but i mean it's kind of something that's always been here you know they've yeah. been driving by it there's some people even that come into the winery today they're like i've driven by this thing for 30 years and had no idea what it was you know but i mean just seeing it it's it's amazing to see this giant building set of buildings up on the hill i mean it's not something you see in a lot of places I yeah mean. it's also uh, okay, so 10, 15 minutes away, but still in the area yeah, growing yeah. up around here. Was it considered the creepy old haunted place as well when you were um, a kid? No, it was kind of considered – for a long period of time, it was considered just the place where a bunch of, like, uh, you know, old people lived. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was like the traditional – there's wheelchairs out in the front lawn all the time and that kind of stuff, you know. And it really wasn't until after it closed for the most part. That's when, um, you know, there were rumors of paranormal activity, and so then – People took the name Oddfellows and they were like, oh, well, that must be where the asylum was or something yeah. like that, which it was never an asylum. It's it's still out there on the Internet, but it never was that. But it just kind of assumed that, you know, moniker almost at, at some point in the early 90s when it, everything kind of shut down. Before that, it was just you know, just a bunch of old people. They, they would come out, you know, the Boy Scouts would come out and do things. People would come out and sing carols to all the... The old people, we still have people that come in all the time, say when they were kids, they came out and sang to the residents yeah. and stuff like that. So, I mean, it was just kind of more of a, a you know, that kind of community thing before then. And then in the 90s, it kind of went Shifted, south. Shifted, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's funny, I've had the, the fortune of being uh, at this location a couple times, and I absolutely love it because I find it very 
comforting like it's it's a cozy stay but also it's a great location and there's some cool uh, paranormal stuff happening in these buildings but it's hilarious because I've arrived early and left late at these events and man when you try to get an uber driving up down like you're the only one here and you're trying to get an uber to pick you up or drop you off at night or whatever they're like are you are you sure you want me to drive through these gates down that long hallway towards uh, a couple of these buildings? It's like, are you going to murder me? Or Because it's definitely sometimes they think I'm at the beginning of the horror movie, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, but I love coming here. So let's talk about the paranormal activity and the stories that people have reported. Just overall from your experience, hmm? I guess the overview if you're going to say there's a personality type for the the potential ghosts here, how, how would you define it? It's kind of divided by buildings. Um, so like this building, you can tell when stuff happens in here, it's kids. Um, it's definitely kids. And and that pe freaks people out so badly sometimes. And I'll just tell you, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. But, um, you know, I mean, it's mostly playful. It's mostly, you know, they're, they're screwing around. They're pushing things off. They're, you know running down the hall laughing, something like that. It's kind of crazy. I, I get it. But um, in the end, it seems like they're just having a good time in here. And it's definitely more lighter, for lack of a better description. I, I've never felt threatened or scared in this building in any, any way. Maybe surprised is a better you know, way to describe it. Um, and then in the other buildings, you can tell it's, it, you know, it's an old folks home. None of us like the thought of an old folks home, right? I mean, um, you can tell there's a bunch of grumpy old people in there that just are not really happy that you're there. And, and you know, I mean, it's not, don't, don't get me wrong, it's not an evil thing or by any no. means, but it's just more of a, you know, just, just get away for now. Just get out of here. What are you doing in my place? You know, so I mean, but that's the difference between this one versus the other three buildings. Yeah. So I've had a lot of experience. It's just, and, and it's different when you're the person running the operation because you're living amidst it all the time but even just staying here a handful of nights I've had lots of crazy experiences but in the in the old folks building last year there was the you know doing paranormal investigations groups rotating through and there was a moment where I think the schedule was was um, there was a hiccup or something so I was left in that building alone for a handful of uh, felt like a long time and throughout the night, we have been hearing lots of things like shuffling, doors kind of closing seemingly on their own. I don't know if anyone was with me last year when that stuff was happening. Yeah. So, so then I'm there on my own with no group, and there is this notice noticeable shift in the vibe. And it was almost like the building was coming alive, sort of like, all right, you know, we're going to do our thing. You, you could be in here, but we're going to do our thing. And just the sounds, the feel, the kind of electricity in there, all shifted. And again, um, I think you guys know me, Jesse, you know this. Like, I don't leap to malevolent or evil or anything like that. Even if I may get a little bit creeped out, that's me receiving that information that way. That doesn't mean that it's intended that way. But dude, it got creepy in there. <laughs> and even though I do this for a job, I was reaching a point like, all right, when's the next group coming? Like, we're gonna like, you know, maybe I should go outside and look for them. Uh, they gotta be coming along real soon because it was feeling like it was coming alive. Yeah. Have you experienced that type of vibe in any of the buildings? Yeah, I have. But I will tell you, the most unnerving time to be in this building specifically um, is when the power goes out um, because. 
right now you have kind of the buzz of lights, you know, and downstairs in the bar you have the buzz of the refrigerators and stuff like that. There is nothing to me more terrifying than being in this building where there is literally no noise because it's almost like it's almost like it's so quiet it's like someone screaming if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It's kind of it's like a white noise and it's just it's just awful and you're waiting for something to just come piercing through the silence and you're like man just let me just let me sit here and chill for a while so the power comes back on you because yeah. I usually have to come out obviously if the power's on because we have the people in the end and um, yeah it's the, the and, and of course you get that at some level in those other buildings because there's no there's literally no power we have everything cut off in there there's not even a box in those um, buildings so you're gonna get no feedback at all um, anything you get from any of the you know different um, devices it's yeah. going to be accurate i mean there's not going to be anything interfering with that stuff which is really cool that's it's a cool part of that uh piano sounds of piano playing correct mm -hmm. yeah, yeah talk about that yeah it's usually like um like a classical music kind of sound um which is kind of unnerving too because not many people play classical music anymore right so and and they're actually really good i'll be honest with you they're good pianists um and it's pretty incredible when that happens. And Amy and Adam had actually experienced that. It was on uh, the Ghost Hunters episode. Mm -hmm. They actually experienced that, which is really cool. And they, they actually, I don't know how many of you have seen the Ghost Hunters episode, but they actually went, there was a piano on either end of the building, and they kept going back and forth. And one piano would play at one end when they went down, and then they'd go to that end, and then the other one would play. And so it was kind of cool for them. They were just running around the building for about 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's we, we sometimes get caught up in the the past, the history that took place here for decades, for a long time, but there's new history being made constantly. This is a wedding venue, people gather here, people come out here and have picnics and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of new energy being injected in this place too. And sometimes new activity being added to this. Yep. Now I recall Jesse, last year you told me this story and you had not relayed this story before and it was, it was kind of emotional about uh, the wedding and the music. And oh, can yeah. you share that story? Yeah, it was a good one. So um, we had, um, we, we've had lots of weddings over the years. Like, I don't know, 10, 12, we're 12th year now. So yeah. we, we have, a, I think, over 300 weddings that we've had. And um, uh, there was a, a guy and lady got married here early on, like the first year, second year, and they got married at like middle age. So it was, I think it was like late thirties, early forties, they got married. Um, and neither of them had been married before. And um, so then they, uh, I kept in touch with them. Some of the early ones, especially, I know a little better because we worked with them and we were very intense on making sure, okay, we need to do the product well early. Not that we don't now, but you know, we wanted to make sure things went off really well for good early reviews. And um, so they got married, and then um, I always kept in touch with them. And then uh, last year, um, his name was Chuck. He unexpectedly passed away. He got sick, and uh, he ended up having like uh, organ failure and all this kind of stuff. And so, as a result, she decided, okay, I'm going to have his celebration of life here. And so they literally had the celebration, their celebration of life, in the same room that they had their reception. And so they were coming in, and so. Um, earlier in the day, and I don't even remember, to be honest with you, what the, what the, uh, oh, it was one of the, oh, it was one of the songs that I, uh, I, yeah. I play, my wife knows this, I play by um, ear, I don't play with music, and so I play several songs, and um, so I was playing, uh, I was playing some music, and I don't even remember what, do you remember what the song was? I can't even remember what it was. I have to look it up, but. Yeah, but anyway, it, it was a song that I played, and, and um, it was a common 
common wedding song too that gets played sometimes. And so I played this song on the piano earlier in the day, um, just because I, I do it when it's nice and empty. You know, I can play in there, and that's it's beautiful. You know, the music echoes through the building and stuff like that. And so I played it, and then um, later on, um, she came in for the um, uh, the reception, and I had actually posted. Um, that I had played that music and um, she came in and she said she said I want you to know she said you had no idea this but the song that we danced to for our wedding was the same song that you played on that piano the earlier in the day and I had no idea and I kind of lost it <laughs> and she yeah. kind of lost it and um, it was really weird I, I, I don't know how so I've never had anything like that where it was like you know, just too too much of a coincidence to to be real. But uh, you know, it meant a lot to her that I, that happened, and you know, it was kind of a affirmation to her. Okay, you know that he's okay and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it was really cool. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And yeah, and I think it also just speaks to that it's really easy to go into locations that we believe to be haunted. And as I said, we sometimes we focus on this ancient past or what seems like ancient past at times. So it's good to think about like the, the, the modern history that's taking place, but also not getting caught up in misery or sadness, but embracing the joy and focusing on the happiness that was had in these locations as well. I think that that's incredibly important. Yep. I, I want to open it up to questions. If you guys have questions about the activity, about the history or anything at all, throw your hand up and... Or you also don't have to. You can be very quiet. It makes for a really good podcast episode when we have 20 minutes of dead air. So you guys are really doing me a solid right now. Thank you. Thank so, you for well, my savior. Yes. Yes. So um, the odd fel- are, are there still odd fellows um, fraternities around? Yeah. So at the height of the odd fellows, like in Missouri alone, there was around 1,200 lodges. Mm-hmm. Um, that current number is about 40. Um, so yeah, um, basically what happened was is that you would have one in each town and, and they were everywhere. Well, as they started kind of reducing in size and things like that, they would combine the lodges. So maybe like before it was Liberty had a lodge. Now it's maybe Clay County has a lodge or something like that. But the problem is, is that's going to be tough to recover from. I mean, it's kind of a downhill spire. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I love my Oddfellows friends, but they're all in their 70s and their 80s. And, you know, it's not something where, you know, young people twenty in their 20s and 30s say, oh, you know what, I'd like to go hang out with a bunch of people that are in their 80s. I mean, God bless them, but, it, you know, they're fun to be around. I love yeah. them. I, I mean, honestly, I, I embrace those guys. I think it's fantastic. And, and they love the fact that this building that they, they took care of and they love for such a long period of time is still being used and is a community you know staple again so that's fantastic in that regard but it's tough for that community to, to really recover from that it, it, so it's gonna be hard do you have you noticed that since the paranormal investigations have been taking place here and having shows numerous shows filming here have you noticed an increase in activity almost like the more people are showing up and looking for phenomena the more 
uh, things are occurring. Yeah, and there was actually a focus on that in the Kindred Spirits episode when they talked about it, you know, where they were at some areas where that they had more activity and they were surprised by it and they felt like the fact that they investigated, which I think you guys are going to investigate in that area tonight, but um, that area seemed to be popping up a lot and I think, you know, it's kind of one of those situations where if they see something going on, you know, maybe they're, they're more likely to go to that area, but Amy and Adam definitely keyed on that yeah. as part of their uh, episode. We, we have the fortune, uh, the speakers have the fortune of being able to stay at the inn, and I would strongly encourage you guys, if you get an opportunity, come stay at uh, Belvoir Winery and, and But in the rooms, there are guest books. Has anybody uh, stayed overnight in here before? Oh, okay. Okay, yes. So there's, there's guest books in each of the room where people are like, lovely stay, great wine, very cozy, holy crap, a ghost. Uh, and people are documenting Just like that. And... and I, and I'm having stayed here and weird stuff happening when I'm sort of off the clock, you know, like I'm ready just to go to sleep and then weird stuff starts happening in the room. Has there been anybody that's left overnight? Yeah, well, we've had, uh, I think it's like 18 or 19 rooms now leave in the middle of the night. So, I mean, there's some great ones. There's one where the, uh, there was uh, a couple and they were staying the night and like at 3 a.m., um, the sheets got pulled back and like a foot got pulled um, by the, the lady that was in the bed. That was room nine, by the way. So yeah, uh, but yeah, it it uh, got foot pulled, and she woke up and she looked around. She's like, "What the hell's going on?" And literally, like her spouse is just like laying there, just snoring, you know, not even paying attention to what's going on. And she got up and went out and slept in her car. And so, like the spouse woke up the next morning, is like looking around. Yeah, and the spouse is nowhere to be found, which was fantastic. There was another one too where we have we have this a lot too where. Uh, we're on Expedia, Orbitz, all those kind of uh, sites, you know, as well. And so some people book not knowing that the place is haunted. That does happen. And so we had one come into room six, and they checked in at, like, I think 7.30 at night. Uh, checked in and went upstairs. I, I gave them their keys. And then <clears throat> it wasn't more than 30, 40 minutes later, they came back down. And literally the guy peeks around his, his head around, looks into the bar, and he says, "Is this place haunted?" And I said, "I said, oh yeah, it's haunted. I didn't even, I didn't mince my words." And um, he like looked back at his wife. So apparently, <clears throat> excuse me, apparently she had been or he had been in the bathroom, and I don't know if he was washing his hands, brushing his teeth, something like that. So he was leaning down in front of the sink, and he stood up, and a lady walked right behind him in the in the room, just just walked right by. And those bathrooms are not that big, um, and walked right by, and he turned around, and there was no one in the room. And that, that was okay, but the mistake he made was he then went and told his wife, who has extreme anxiety, <laughs> what had just happened in their room. And so that's when they came down, and then so, you know, they, they checked out. They didn't ask for their money or anything, but they were gone. So I, so, I suppose yeah. I could have put it back out and, and re-rented re it because yeah. they didn't do much while they were in there. But, yeah. Yeah, we have people like that all the time, though. I, I think it was the first time I stayed here. I was staying in room 8. And I woke up pretty early in the morning, I think like 5.30. I was, uh, had to go out for an early morning run because I was training for a race. And I was brushing my teeth, uh, drinking coffee, just kind of getting, getting psyched up to get out the door. And I heard lots of walking around outside the door and I heard whispering and shuffling and everything. And, you know, still I'm just going about my business and in the bathroom and everything. And I'm like, Cracking Dana up, Newkirk up this early? Like, what are they doing? Like, <laughs> they're, they're not a no. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that does not track with what I know about these guys. And 
but then it kept happening. And then it was like something I saw underneath the door looked like a shadow mm-hmm. just kind of lingering out my door. I'm like, well, now Greg's being real creepy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I open up the door. I'm like, what the hell? Oh, no, there's no one outside. And I'm like, I'm just going to close this door now. I did run a little bit faster that day, though. It's funny you talk about the footsteps, too. We had one, uh, room two and three are above us here, and um, there was a lady staying in room three, which is adjacent to room two, and uh, she came out the next morning, and she was complaining. She was so mad. She was like, She's like, I, I, I always ask people, you know, how, how was your night? How'd things go? And she said, uh, she said, it was fine. She said, but our neighbors were ridiculous. They were like up until like three, four in the morning, just walking around doing this, doing that. I'm like, oh my God. I said, I'm so sorry. And then I went and looked at the, the layout. I said, I said, ma'am, there was nobody checked in that room. I was like, there was nobody in there. And she looked at me and she was, she was all ready to one star review me. And then she, <laughs> she looked back and she said, she said, Okay, and then literally just walked out, and <laughs> and she realized at that point I was like, oh well, maybe I'm a Belvoir victim, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. Do you do you find as the owner and operator of an inn, does it being haunted increase your star ratings or decrease it? Like, do people give you extra stars because like, eh, we got a we got a free haunting out yeah, of this deal? Yeah, generally it, it generally it's good, but there are the occasions where you know it's something happened, and you know. If they post something about, you know, people were noisy in the hallway, it's not like I can go out there and say, oh, it was a ghost. I mean, I, I kind of still have to have some, I can't, you know, just blame totally, it away. I, yeah. I totally would. So, yeah, yeah, you, like, still, yeah. you still have to be a concerned person in that regard. But, yeah, we, we generally get better ratings because it's, it's never, and I always tell people, it's, this is the only, one of the few places where people complain about a good night's sleep because they want to come in, they want to yeah. experience something, and then they sleep all night. And they're like, I didn't have anything. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's not a... It's not a push button thing. I can't really, can't really like, do that. Like I specifically requested a room with a booth. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, exactly. Other other questions? Anybody have other questions? Uh, yes, in the back. Um, yeah. I just wanted to know like your craziest experiences that either of you have experienced and what building it was. Mm, so mine personally would be in this building. I, by far, I've had my most experiences, and people are surprised. Usually, it's between seven and eleven in the morning for me, um, but probably would be um, in the ladies room on the first floor uh, I saw a little boy in there and that, that was um, I, I had never seen a kid here before um, I knew that there was probably stuff going on around but I, I literally was just cleaning it was like that that one was later at night it was just after closing so like 9 p.m. and I was cleaning the sinks and I turned around and he was standing in front of the fireplace in that room and it, he looked just like you and me but the only difference was that I could see the textures of the carvings in the fireplace through him. So, but it was still very vivid, uh, and so it wasn't very, it wasn't very, um, tra- I don't know, opaque, translucent, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't something that I could just see directly through him, but I could still tell, and that's pretty unnerving, honestly. Um, I've only seen like five apparitions, and I've been here 29 years, so I mean, it's apparitions are a relatively rare thing, at least for me. I, I think it varies from person to person, from my experience, but. Um, the unnerving thought that you can see something and it looks real, but you know it's not real. That's like not good. I don't enjoy that feeling. Yeah. But, but yeah, that was definitely spooky. And I don't know if you care to talk about it, but uh, your daughters have had experiences here as well, right? Yeah, yeah. My older daughter, um, she, uh, they would actually um, uh, play around like when they were younger. They would, 
when we first met Amy, they, they started getting all the gadgets out and later, like while I was working, they would just go to the rooms and, and investigate and stuff like that. My younger one still likes to investigate with the new Kirk. She loves that kind of stuff. But um, we came out and uh, Callie was in here goofing around and I was down the hallway and she came back and she asked me if I was down here and I said no and, and she said, um, uh, she said, well, I heard someone say, my name is, uh, hello, my name is, and then I couldn't understand the name. And um, I said, okay, you know, I, you, when you're a kid, you know, you don't want to say, oh, well, it was definitely a ghost. You kind of want to explain the situation say, okay, well, well, we'll just kind of feel it out. We'll see if something happens in the future. And so then a couple months later, Chip Coffee came here for an event for one of the strange escapes. And I was walking around and showing him the place just because he had never been here before. And so we walked into this room, which this room was still actually not finished at that time. Um, and so I walked in, he said, you know what? He said, before you say anything, um, he said, I'm getting a little girl and she's saying, hello, my name is, I think it was Sarah. I can't remember the exact name, but she said, hello, my name is Sarah. And I'm supposed to tell you that. And so I went back and told my daughter and she was so excited because you know he had no idea when he said that, that my daughter had had that experience up here. And so she was so excited to know the name of the girl, which was kind of cool. So. All right, that's very cool. And I would say for me, I obviously haven't spent as much time here as Jesse, but last year was really exciting and intense because it was in the old folks building. Mm -hmm. I think it was at second floor mm -hmm. where we post up at. And there was with various groups, but specifically this one group where there were people were hearing footsteps, which sounded like people uh, walking on glass and like debris and things yep. there was doors slamming and we were checking to see if there's any kind of wind or anything moving through there and there was not and it was just it, you know it's even though I approach all of this with respect and empathy and I try not to act as if I'm interacting with a potential spirit or whatever it is we're dealing with I try not to be like all right dance for me monkey you know i don't like to command or anything but it is exciting when you're like hey could you make yourself known or hey if you're out and things start happening you're like "Ooh, this is like this is fun you know yeah. so the thrill of it and that was definitely happening last year yeah so. and i was thinking about too because uh, you know there's a chance of rain tonight just for those that are interested so wear, wear some galoshes get an umbrella you'll be fine um, but there was a there was an event we did out here, and I remember it was my first time meeting um, Bill Chapel, who yeah. he designed the Ovulus and all those kind of things. And Bill is amazing, but he's very he's relatively skeptical, and um, he's very scientific. And so he had set up this experiment where there was like I, I don't know some kind of detectors. I, I don't even know this guy's so he's like a weird mad scientist. Yeah, he had these detectors like in a giant circle around all the peoples, and he's like stay inside this circle. You know, he's very serious. And then there was a couple things in the middle too. And a storm came in that night. And I kid you not, the storm had like 70 to 80 miles an hour wind. It was nuts. And so we are in the, in the old folks home. And of course there's no windows, so the wind's blowing through. And I mean, there's just a vortex of wind blowing around. And Bill is just standing there in the middle, just solid as a rock, just standing there asking questions of these ghosts while everybody else, like, there's wigs blowing off and everything else. And Bill, Bill was just standing there just doing every single thing just by the book, and it, it did not phase him. There was lightning bolts coming. It literally hit a tree just outside the building, and Bill wasn't even phased. He just kept going. It was fantastic. It's impressive. So I hope we have something like that tonight. That would be amazing. I mean... Maybe without the lightning strike, but 
Uh, okay, there was a question over here, but was there any on this side? Okay, let's, yes ma'am, with the glasses, yes. I just wanted to know if when you bought this place you came into it knowing that it was haunted. Uh, there were some rumors, but you know, you're, you're kind of like, okay, well it's an old building, you're just, you're just kind of making this stuff up. And we, we really didn't have a lot of experiences out here until we started um, being on site on a regular basis for some of the renovations and stuff like that, you know. Um, and I don't know if the, I don't know if it was necessarily a renovation thing that more stirred it up. I think it's just kind of one of those, you know, tree falling in the forest. If you're not here, it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we were here. Uh, you know, I, there was a point in time I was here like s seven days a week, twelve hours a day. You know, I was here helping with the renovations and stuff like that. And um, you know, you start experiencing things then at that point in time. Um, we did have a we did have a couple. Uh, um, uh, construction guys who thought it was kind of cute. They at that time, this was when phones were just kind of getting somewhat advanced. They had one of those apps where you could like superimpose a ghost and a picture. So they took a picture upstairs on the second floor and superimposed a ghost. And I literally, the one of the construction guys had a family member that he had sent that to. I had them come into this building like two months ago and say, "You're not going to believe this. I have this picture." And they showed the picture. I was like, "Oh, that construction guy took that like ten years ago." They're like, "Really? I've been showing it to my family for years." <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but that didn't really happen. But yeah, it, it definitely we noticed a lot more once that happened. And then it was, I, I think, for about three, four months, you were kind of like, "Okay, it's the floor squeaking. You know, it's a door. It just closes because the wind and stuff like that." Noises. Yeah, yeah. So you're kind of dismissive of it, and then. And then I saw an apparition, and that's not something you can easily dismiss. But, but yeah, it, it was it was a gradual thing, but it was always a rumored thing. So, and and my father-in-law who um, helped with the renovation of this, I mean, he he always when he was still alive and he would be walking around here, he he'd tell everybody he's like, I spent years trying to get people away from here because of the, you know, they were all saying there was ghosts. He says, and then Jesse spent six months back inviting everybody in to see the ghosts. You know? yeah. yeah, like sorry. <laughs> I mean, at some point, you have to stop denying it. To be quite honest with you, I, I, we could still be denying it if we wanted to, but and, and it's honestly, we don't. The the paranormal events, we don't make a ton of money off it. It's not the purpose of main purpose of it. The main purpose of it is to give people an outlet. So you know, I mean, obviously, you guys are very excited. You want to see this. You know, I want to make sure they have. You guys have a safe outlet, so you can go in and you can see these things and do these things. Um, where you're not getting yourself into trouble. So, I mean, that's the real reason, because otherwise people just like run in there and, and do stupid stuff and fall through floors, and you know, we don't do that. So. Any, any funny behind the scenes, you know, you've had so many shows film here, any funny behind the scenes moments that maybe didn't make it onto camera, but was amusing for you? Um, I'm trying to think, I, I, I thought, it was part of the episode in the Ghost Adventures one, yeah. but the the Billy situation was pretty nuts because um, uh, you know I think a lot of people think it's relatively staged. They, they are, I mean, the stuff that they find in those shows, it's it's accurate. They're not they're not just staging a bunch of stuff. And and we were literally in the back of the building. I was I was driving around with a golf cart and I was playing security guy for the them to keep people make sure there's no kids coming off. And I came back, and Zach had this look on his face. He's like, "Where the hell is Billy?" And and I said, "I don't know. Where'd he go?" And he said, "He went. He went over to the hospital, and he hasn't come back. And we were supposed to come back at some point in time." And so, literally, we all walked over and we tried to figure out where the hell Billy was. And Billy was sitting on the stairs, kind of in a daze, and it was kind of wacky. Um, but at the time, I had never seen anything like that before. But um, it was an interesting. Uh, thing that happened and, and they were all legitimately wondering where the hell Billy was because we 
we thought, oh, well, maybe he fell down the stairs or, you know, he, he <laughs> fell in a hole or something like that. I mean, it's, there's dangerous areas of buildings, and they all decided they were going to go in by themselves. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those situations where if something happens, you know, you can't really – you don't really have help relative, uh, readily available. So Didn't you also yeah. allow Zach to do some uh, renovations himself? He there? loved it. He still, I saw him about, um, I don't know, it was about a year ago or two years ago. I think it was about a year ago. He lives in Vegas. Uh, and so um, he still says to this day that that is the coolest thing that he's ever done on Ghost Adventures. Where Because I literally was in the building and, and we were renovating. We were knocking down walls and stuff like that. And, and uh, he was like... I was telling him that I know where you can find stuff. There's it's along the edge of the walls. They, they push stuff into the side walls, and he said, "He said, can we go check that?" I said, "Well, hell yeah, you can." And so literally, it took him, it took him maybe 30 minutes. He had on the full hazmat suit and had a sledgehammer, and he was all ready to go. And so they filmed. Literally, they, it was not staged. They filmed and they found something within 10 minutes of, of banging into that wall. Um, but the interesting part was they filmed for about an hour doing that, and then we went and ate, and um, Zach was gone. I, I didn't know where Zach was at the time. And so I went upstairs, and I heard banging. Zach had come up. They weren't filming. Zach had come up and was on that same wall banging more because he wanted to find more stuff because he thought it was so cool that, that literally you could find that stuff and connect with what's here, you know. And so he loved it. And, and actually some of the stuff, too, that we found and some of the stuff that's here, it's actually in his museum in um, Vegas as well. Um, there's an odd fellow's room in his um, place, so if you peek around, some of that stuff is actually ours, um, and that I just loaned to him, so he can have it. I said, just if you ever close the museum, I said send it back. He said no problem. So I feel like this is a tip for any aspiring entrepreneurs of haunted locations out there that if you want to get paranormal investigators to do manual labor for free, <laughs> just say you have buried some stuff in the wall. Don't have at it. Be like, while you're at it, could you perhaps lay some wire and put in? The ghosts really uh, respond when yeah. you do some plumbing here. <laughs> I feel like this might be a new show concept, yeah, guys. Like, I like it. Yeah. Uh, any other questions before we wrap it up? Yes. What made your family buy this place? That's a really good question. Yeah. I, I, people, I'm not sure everybody's ever asked that. But so, my uh, wife's parents, um, they knew about this place, and at that time, the Oddfellows owned it, and they had gone over to Europe and um, visited, like I think, like Italy and France, and they had visited some of the wineries. And they're like, "This is so cool. We would love to do something like this." Um, and so they they had it in their mind when they came back. They're like, "We we should we should do a winery. We should we should grow grapes. We should make wine." And you know, they didn't really know how to do anything other than my father-in-law was a uh, had a chemistry and biology degrees, which. Um, for those who have made wine, that's actually pretty important. Um, there's a lot of reactions that go on, and it does help a lot. And um, so they came back, and then out of the blue, um, the Oddfellows were running into money trouble, and so they put this place up for sale. Um, and they they put it, when they put it up for sale, actually there was the the building next door was the only one under that was operating at that time. The other three buildings were vacant, um, and so they. They put it on the market and we're just kind of getting feelers and there was four offers on the property. Um, my, uh, the, there was three people who were developers and they offered $1.2 million for the entire property. Um, and then um, my wife's parents offered $600,000 um, for the property. Um, but we were the only ones that wanted to not knock the buildings down 
And so, yeah, and so as a result, the Oddfellows ended up selling to us. Now we've burned several million dollars <laughs> renovating the building. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't quite as cheap as it sounds, believe me that. But, um, but yeah, they, they decided, you know, this is the opportunity. They've got land. And at that time, this property, it was in 1993, that property was outside the city limits. Um, and it was just out here and there was no houses anywhere around. Now we're surrounded. The city has literally enveloped this entire property. Um, and so we're this weird oasis right in the middle of the city now. But um, yeah, but at the time it was kind of outside of the city. And, and so they did. And I mean, 1994, right when they jumped in, they were, they were going grapes on site. And I mean, they planted a lot of grapes initially too. And then you can make up to 200 gallons of wine without a license. So they were, they were crushing and you know, you make some really lousy wine, you make some really good wine, and that's how you get better as a, you know, creating wine. But that it was just a, a dream. And then um, my my mother-in-law passed away before the um, winery, the initial renovation was finished. And then um, my father-in-law passed away uh, like four years ago, but he got to see the the finished product. So I mean, basically everything we've done here was their original vision. So um, yeah, and and the just so you know too, the the first floor was designed by my father-in-law so he's very you can see it's a very classic um, renovation um, lots of old antiques that he's pulled from all over the place up here um, was um, designed by my wife and her sister um, who are the current owners and so we did a historic renovation up here obviously there's still original trim and you know a lot of that kind of stuff and original doors but you know it's a little bit more modern of a look and, and it's something that fits better for you know the the younger people who want to do weddings and stuff like that so um, so it's different, but um, you can see the difference in, in vision as far as that goes. Um, but in the end, it was something their family wanted to do. So it's exciting that we were able to, you know, to, to finish it out for them. All right. Well, my friends out here, Strange Escapes, Escape Bees, we're, of course, recording this at Belvoir Winery and Inn and the CEO and operations manager. And he is an odd fellow. He is also my friend, Jesse Langcooler. Make some noise now. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this has been Talking Strange. If you have stories you'd like to share of these strange and unusual, email us at talkingstrange at denogeek.com. And until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Thank you, Strange Escapes. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. Yeah.